Blog Talk Radio. vocal group from the CD Native Angels by Save. This is a wonderful CD, you know, I listen to every Sunday, and I hope you're enjoying it. It has many spiritual songs with Native instruments and Gregorian chanting. Um, very unusual mix. And if you want to order a copy, contact Save.org, or you can find them on Facebook because they do live shows and they have their events posted on their times. You can listen to them for free on YouTube, and they 
you also get a CD from them on uh, Amazon.com. I'm your host and Reverend Sean McCain. I'd like to welcome listeners to the Sacred Sunday. Sacred Sunday was created to focus on the tenth. This Sunday is a special day to set aside some time for spiritual focus, meditation, and prayer. All faith so welcome. I'm a Christian in recovery, and all Bible readings will be out of the Ryrie Study Bible, and you may use any Bible you wish, of course. I have had many spiritual experiences, and in gratitude, we have ongoing Bible readings and every Sunday morning, and we're going to start having speakers in a couple weeks, uh, at least once a month and maybe a couple times a month. Anyway, I've had um, just been focused on being my real self and carrying the message given me, which is read your Bible, and that's what I've been doing, and we've really are making our way, headway right through the Bible. The calling number is 619-924-9744 for uh, special uh, requests or any questions, and Sacred Sunday does air every Sunday, 11 a.m. Pacific Standard Time. For opening prayer, let's say together, Our Father who art in heaven, hallowed be thy name. Thy kingdom come, thy will be done on earth as it is in heaven. Give us this day our daily bread and forgive us our trespasses as we forgive those who trespass against us. And lead us not into temptation, but deliver us from evil. For thine is the kingdom and the power and the glory forever and ever. Amen. We pray for all the Christians being persecuted worldwide. Their freedom to worship and lives are in great jeopardy. And those whose lives are taken for distorted and evil reasons may have become martyrs. That's what I believe. We pray for those all suffering from violence here at home, too, and abroad. We pray for those who are sick in mind and body and those who are lonely and uncomforted. Please, God, forgive us our sins. We pray for those suffering from domestic violence in their own homes. Freedom from addiction at all kinds. We pray for that. Please, God, have the archangels fight addiction. Please, God, send your archangel Michael to fight against evil and protect those that, that need the protection now and all your angels to watch over everyone. Our prayers go out to all those who suffer, some that we don't know about, and, and also the animals who can't speak for themselves. And we pray, also pray for the wisdom of our president and the rest of our policymakers. We have many decisions to make, and we are praying for all countries for problems of suffering all over the world. I want to thank you, God, for everything you've given us. Amen. And we also ask Jesus to bless us and help us grow under his care. And everyone in our families, we do also in our prayers, we wish everybody, everybody a blessed day. And also for those that have health concerns, just just pray, keep staying fast, don't give up, keep going to the doctor, keep praying and keep peaceful because God will help you. We ask this in Jesus' name, amen. Happy birthday. Everybody is having a birthday today or anniversary. Uh, people are starting to graduate, so we wish them uh, very happy graduations and anniversaries and everything else. Um, we uh, read the Bible every Sunday morning, so uh, you can, if you don't have a Bible at home, go to www.biblegateway.com or www.biblia.com, and uh, that's where you can uh, find uh, a copy of the Bible and read what we're reading. And, of course, we're in First Corinthians. And we're going to read uh, chapter 3 today, but that's after we read the notes from schmoop.com. And uh, this is from last week, First uh, Corinthians chapter 2. So Paul tells us that when he came to Corinth, he wasn't some smart, smooth-talking guy. 
Actually, he was kind of weak and afraid and all-around pathetic. We're not sure if Paul was giving himself enough credit here. The point is that Paul didn't try to appeal to them by using human wisdom. He let himself be filled with the spirit and the power of the God. And he who needs coherent sentences, then what have you got? Trying to preach and he was always under a lot of stress and you know how hard it was for him. He kept doing this. So the Corinthians learned about God not because Paul reasoned and argued them into believing it, because they but because they felt God through him. Besides, Christians don't need human wisdom. They have God's wisdom. It's way better, apparently. So just look at the people who run this world, Paul says. They're supposed to be wise, yet they put Jesus to death. That's not such a smart move. But Christians have the Spirit of God in them. That means don't speak in terms of what the rest of the world understands. Paul is probably referring to the practice of speaking in tongues which can be pretty tough to understand. People who aren't living in the Spirit don't get this stuff. It just seems stupid or wrong to them. But those who are in the Spirit know this stuff is right and from God. They don't answer to anyone or anything. You've got to remember that. When you're in Spirit and you're in God, you don't have to answer to anybody. And that means that you're the real deal. They say that no one can know what God is thinking. But people in the Spirit do, and they understand the mind of Christ. Wow, that's a big responsibility. Anyway, thanks, Move, for that, and uh, thank you. I we uh, use their stuff every week, and uh, it's a wonderful resource. And so let's write, let's open our Bibles now to First Corinthians, chapter three, and begin to read. And this starts here: the consequences of the divisions that we've been talking about. Spiritual growth is stunted. And I, brethren, could not speak to you as to spiritual men, but as to men of flesh, such as infants in Christ. I gave you milk to drink, but not solid food, for you were not able to receive it. Indeed, even now you are not able, but you are still fleshly, for since there is no, the jealousy and strife among you, you are, you are not fleshly, and are you not walking like other men? For when one says, I am Paul, the other says, I am of Apollos, are you not mere men? What then is Apollos, and what then is Paul? He's even talking about himself. Servants to whom you believed, even as the Lord gave opportunity to each one, planted Apollos water, but God has caused the growth. So then neither one of the plants nor the one who waters is anything, but God who causes the growth. Now he who plants and he who waters are one, but each will receive his own reward according to his own labor. For we are God's fellow workers, and you are God's field, God's building. According to the grace of God, which is given to me like a wise master builder, I laid a foundation, and another is building on it. But each man must be careful how he builds on it. For no man can lay a foundation other than the one which is laid, which is Jesus Christ. Now, if any man builds on the foundation with gold, silver, precious stones, wood, hay, or straw, each man's work will become evident, for the day will show it, because it is to be revealed with, revealed with fire, and the fire itself will test the quality of each man's work. If any man's work which he has built on it remains, he will receive a reward. If any man's work is burned up, he will suffer loss, but he himself will be saved. So... So yet so as to fire. Do you now know, not know that you are full of God and that the Spirit of God dwells in you? 
If any man destroys the temple of God, he will destroy him. For the temple of God is holy, and that is what you are. Let no man deceive himself. If any man among you thinks he is wise in this age, he must become foolish, so that he may become wise. For the wisdom of this world is foolishness before God. For it is written, He is the one who catches the wise in their craftiness. And again, the Lord knows the reasonings of the wise, that they are useless. So then, let no one boast in men, for all things belong to you, whether Paul or Apollos or Cephas, or the world or the life of death or death, or things present or things to come, all things belong to you. Christ and Christ belongs to God. I love that part. Let's read the notes. Three one men of flesh. The Greek word sarkinos means fleshly or of the flesh, with the idea of weakness. In verse three, fleshly is the overtone or willfulness. Fleshly Christians, brethren, are infants in Christ, undeveloped, who cannot understand the deeper truths of the Word of God. Still, their condition is inexcusable, for they have been saved long enough to have grown up walking like mere men. Carnal Christians are scarcely distinguishable from natural or unsaved men. Paul was the evangelist. Apollo was the edifier, but God made it all happen. And they're talking about it being at one and, and not in competition. And then now we're up to 3.10.15. This passage refers to the judgment seat of Christ. And the word discussed here has nothing to do with the earning or losing of salvation. The rewards or loss of them pertain only to Christians. And then 3.12 is the gold. These works are valuable and enduring. Would those that are ultimately worthless. Quality, not quantity. If the work is in the basis of judgment. The reward. Salvation is a free gift, but rewards for those who are saved are earned. The quality of our service is, is, is the criterion. Uh, rewards are often spoken of as crowns. And we do love that we've got to remember that we're going to get our crowns in heaven if we just persist and hold fast to the end. So remember that. And then suffer loss. The reward of not salvation is made clear with the latter verse. Okay, we're at 316, a temple of God. Here the local church is viewed as a temple of God inhabited by the Spirit, and the individual is a temple of God. And then it says, if any man contributes to the collapse of a local church, whether a believer or a professing believer, he will be severely disciplined by God. He must become foolish by accepting God's wisdom, which the world regards as folly. So it's very tricky. You know, once you become a Christian, people misunderstand you. They'll label you as a fool. They'll think you got carried away uh, or whatever, but still hold fast to what you believe. Do the best job you can. And keep your... And, you know, this life is temporary. Remember that. So everything you do will pay off in the end and uh, with our eternal salvation and our Lord Jesus Christ. So I want to thank uh, thank everybody for the, the reading and everything else. So now I'm going to have find another story as I do random, and this one is from Guy Post. I'll try to get one of my stories going for next week. I know you guys enjoy them. Let's see, where is them? Uh, let's see. Okay. 
This is, is the only explanation. It's by Sarah Davis, Renee Wilkins, and Myers Brusso at Atmore, Alabama. Sarah Davis at the First Assembly of God Church in Atmore, Alabama. The time of for evening services was an opportunity for parishioners to talk and visit. But one night last year, a mysterious series of events unfolded. It wasn't until afterward that several of us pieced our separate stories together and reached a startling but inescapable conclusion. On Sunday, March 5th, 1995, the church was a little over, uh, a little after 8 o'clock p.m. My three-year-old daughter, Sarah Beth, quickly found her playmates, Cameron McGee, Britt Wilkins, Renee Wilkins, and hope they were holding Brett. He wiggled in the bag. Please, Mommy, to put me down. Okay, she said, smoothing his black blonde and back to the blonde hair. But I'll hold your fishing pole toy. You might hit someone with it. The children began their usual game of climbing the three steps to the altar platform and jumping bravely back down. They never seemed to tire of this game. I was standing in the back of the sanctuary chatting with Cameron's mother, Cindy, when Sarah Beth and Cameron came racing towards us, Sarah Beth's blue eyes were wide as Officer cried, Mommy, Mommy, just a minute, Sarah Beth, we're talking. Sarah Beth waited eagerly, but Cameron too excited to be put off. We just saw Jesus' angels, he sang out lowly. Where? Up there in the choir booth. Sarah Beth nodded vigorously, and Cindy and I both looked at each other, then at where the children were pointing. Our church was designed like a tiered fan, with the pews facing the front altar platform, the choir loft, and the baptistry behind it. Fresh green ferns framed the baptistry glass. They would so congregation and watch my husband, Don, the pastor, perform baptism. From our front, you can't, we can't see the five-foot uh, deep tank or the stairs leading to it behind the sanctuary wall. In fact, there had been a baptism during that evening service, so the baptistry was full of water. Don probably told them there were angels up there so they wouldn't go running up around the platform, I said, and Cindy and I both laughed. Sarah Beth and Cameron seemed satisfied that they had delivered their message and they tore off again without another word. This is from Renee Wilkins. For the longest time, I watched Brett run up the steps to the pulpit. Then a crowd gathered in the aisle blocked my view. I couldn't see Brett. I asked my teenage daughter to go get him, but after searching throughout the church, she came to tell me he wasn't anywhere to be found. He's gone to the gym, I bet, so I left uh, So I left to go there. This is from now by, by Myers Brusso. After the service, I went on a errand to the church office. When I returned from the sanctuary, a crowd of 50 or so still lingered. But a young man named Travis in a pew toward the back and walked over, walked over the top. When I greeted him, Travis asked, Did you hear that splash a minute ago? I shook my head to remember, There's probably still water in the baptistry. Some kids probably snuck upstairs in the front wall and threw in a hymnal. Well, I better go run out there and get them out there. So I went up to the platform and the choir risers and peering through the open tree window, I expected to see a mischievous head bopping around the landing and I stood at the top row straining for a better view. The stairs were empty. Hearing a soft bump, 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 I stood on a chair and looked down into the water and there was a blonde child floating in, on his back in the tank. He was floating so effortlessly I assumed he was playing, but then I noticed that his eyes were wide open and his arms spread out, palms up. His legs were slightly parted, and the bumping sound I heard was one of his hard-soled saddle oxfords hitting against the fiberglass wall. My chest tightened as I looked at the gray, vacant eyes. Dear Lord, it was baby Brett. 
His hair was wet and washed back. Obviously, he had been underwater. A feeling of dread came over me. Brett's blue lips fell open. He let out several moans. Terrible thought raced in my mind that I was hearing his last gasp. I bent over the partition and reached for Brett. He's going to sink, I thought, as I grabbed for him. But I was able to get my arms around his back and scoop him out. I flung the little wet body across my shoulder and jumped over the chairs, knocking some down. I vaguely remember hearing gasps and shouts as the others realized what had occurred. I laid Brett on his side next to the podium and gently squeezed my hands between his chest and back. Only about two tablespoons of water came out of his mouth. Renee. I was on my way to the gymnasium when Sarah came running down the hall exclaiming, Hurry, Myers has just fished Brett out of the baptistry, and there were tears in his eyes. I got to the sanctuary just as Myers squeezed the boy's chest and Brett wasn't moving and he wasn't crying. My husband, Andy, who was a trained paramedic, knelt next to him. Every horrific thought, I was framed with a question. Is he, is he going to be all right, Renee? Andy said, I don't worry. Andy picked Brett up and the youngster started to cry. It wasn't a scared cry, though. It was more like a cry of a newborn child. Brett remained limp as we took him to the nursery to get him out of his wet clothes and wait for the ambulance. He barely responded to my voice as he was having trouble awaking from a deep sleep. The EMTs wrapped him in a warm blanket and raced him to the hospital, where x-rays showed no significant water in his lungs. After the doctor gave us the news, she smiled. The baby's going to be just fine, she said, but she added puzzled. Your story doesn't add up. Small children aren't usually relaxed enough to flow. They fight the water until their lungs fill, and then they sink to the bottom face down. Yet Brett has no water in his lungs. I can't explain it. Little by little, Brett came out of his stupor. I finally picked him up and said gently, Brett, honey, what happened? He said, I thought there was a fish in the water or even a whale. I hugged him and said, oh, Brett, I'm so sorry. It's okay, Mommy. A man put me in a basket, and then I wasn't scared. Andy and I exchanged glances. Excuse me. Sarah went with Renee and Andy to the hospital and left when the doctor said Brett would be all right. And when we had gotten home, the phone rang. It was Sarah Cindy. Sarah, do you remember what Sarah Beth and Cameron had said just before Myers found Brett? A chill ran through me. In all the excitement, I had completely forgotten. Sarah Beth was sitting on a stool in the breakfast counter. I put the phone down so Cindy could hear. Sarah Beth, do you remember seeing any special guests at the church tonight? I asked. Sarah Beth straightened up and said with a calm voice full of little girl wonder, Yes, Mommy, Jesus is angels. Don leaned down and looked right at her in the eye. I saw them, Daddy. I really did. She said firmly, Where? On those choir steps, they had yellow hair and pink jackets and pink hats, and their wings were coming right out here. She touched the insides of her shoulder blade. Did they say anything? No, they just looked at Cameron and me, but they were so nice. I again picked up their receivers, and he said, that's exactly what Cameron told me. And when they, we put the children's story about the angels together with the breadth description of the man who floated him in a basket and added Meyer's puzzlement about the baby floating, that only one explanation for who saved Brett and protected Cameron and Sarah Beth that March night. That was such a beautiful story. I just can't help but weeping over it. It's just so amazing. Well, thank God. Thank God. So many times, you know, 
this story the stories don't end well and with Jesus and the angels, oh my God, I just I don't even know what to think. I'm gonna I'm going to read I think one little story, one more. Let's see here. Yeah, there's a new there's another little magazine, it's called Angels Magazine Angels, let's see. Uh, angels. It's Angels on Earth. Yeah, Angels on Earth magazine. So, um, let's see. A rancher's humble prayer. We aren't strangers on a struggle, but one Thanksgiving, we didn't know how we'd make it to Christmas. Okay, so this is by Erica Benson, Sprague River, Oregon. Bruce hung up the phone. That was a cow buyer, he said, turning to me and the kids. The deal fell through. What, I said? That can't be. The load of weaned calves was supposed to be shipped from a ranch the next week. We just spent the day sorting out the ones we would sell. Not only did we desperately need the money, but a brutal winter looming. We simply didn't have the feed to carry all the calves through until spring. It was terrible news to get, especially the day before Thanksgiving. I've been working alongside the Toffins and their cattle, family cattle for 20 years, so... So long, in fact, I was practically one of the family. Besides that, there was Bruce, Virginia, and their grown kids, Brandon and, and Susan. Contrary to the Hollywood stereotype that cattle ranches are fabulously wealthy, the day-to-day reality is anything but glamorous. Skimping and saving is the norm. When tax time rolls around, we just hope to break even. That didn't happen, though, according to our banker. This is bad, Bruce said, taking me aside. I honestly don't know how we're going to make it. I wanted to reassure him, but I was worried too. Most of us living in the end of the dirt road aren't going doing it for the money, but for the love of the living in the country and the opportunity to spend our lives with animals. Call us ranchers crazy, and you'd be right, but greedy we're not. Every rancher's humble prayer is to just make just enough to keep an outfit going one more year, and sometimes that's asking for the moon. This year had been extra tough. Because even before we lost the deal to sell the calves, our 30-year-old bailer broke beyond repair in the middle of broke in the, beyond the repair in the middle of haying, and we had to buy another one or lose the crop. A dry summer shortened our, our grazing season, and renting extra fall pasture for our cattle stretched our budget. To top it off, the price of hay climbed skyward as the price of cattle nosedived. We've been tightening our belt so much we ran out of notches. Overhearing my conversation with Bruce, Virginia came in from the kitchen where she had been preparing tomorrow's Thanksgiving meal. What's the plan, she asked. I'll do my best to find us some hay, Bruce said, and picked up the phone again. It's too expensive, Virginia argued. The banker said, we don't have a choice, Bruce said. He was trying to stay calm, trying to keep his frustration in check, but there were only so many setbacks a man could take in one year. A dozen phone calls later, we had learned there was no hay to be had anywhere for any price. What do we do, Dad? Brandon asked. We just can't let those calves starve. He said, I don't know what to do. The night in my room, I couldn't sleep. I sat on the window sill, staring out into the darkness beyond the frost-covered glass. We're an awful fix, Lord, but I know you can fix anything. Did you spare us an angel, just one? Thanksgiving Day dawned, cold and clear, but even with the promise of a special dinner, did little to lift our spirits. We spent the morning feeding and chopping ice for cows and calves and bulls and horses. No one said much, and what was there to say except how long will our feed last? 
Virginia had the table set and ready when we trooped into the house. Everything smelled and looked divine. Virginia had obviously wanted this to seem like this, like any other Thanksgiving. As we found our chairs, she lit two slender white candles, one on each end of the table. Let's say a blessing for hope, she said, but truly hope for us seemed as tiny as the flames atop those skinny candles. We passed our place and dug in. We had nearly finished eating when Susan all but shouted, Look, look at the candle over by Erica. It's an angel. I'd been twirling my fork through the mashed potatoes, my chin resting on my fist. I sat upright so fast I rattled my plate and nearly knocked over my water glass. Susan was right. Wax from the tiny, hopelessly small flame had melted down the size of the candle and cooled into the shape of a perfectly formed wing, an angel wing. Last night I prayed for an angel. Maybe this is a sign we're going to be okay. Did I dare hope that we could keep the outfit going? Another drop of wax rounded off the angel wing, and a rush of thankfulness welled up in me. Who wants pumpkin pie? There would be slices all around. The very next day, a hay grower called with an extra load of calf-quality hay that didn't fit his other orders, and he needed room in his barn. When he quoted the price, Bruce nearly fell out of his chair. It was dirt cheap. Even the banker would say we could afford it. He told Virginia with a grin, barely. It was enough to get us past the first of the year. By the time the cattle market had rebounded and Bruce negotiated a much better deal on those calves than the one we would have had been forced to accept back in November, the sale put more than paid for the extra hay and paid for a few other outstanding bills as well. We'll never be get rich in the cattle business, but this family is rich who blessed. The angel that graced our Thanksgiving table told me God always has one to spare. Wow, these stories are pretty touching, and I want to just tell everyone... Don't give up. Pray for an angel and pray for a miracle. Don't give up. Do not give up, please. Let's close. Let's do closing with our traditional closing prayer. After a moment of silent meditation for a person out there still suffering. God, grant me the serenity to accept the things I cannot change, courage to change the things I can, and the wisdom to know the difference. Amen. So in closing, thank you for joining us on Sacred Sunday. And please come back next week and bring your family and friends. And really, thank you so much for listening. May God bless you and keep you in his loving arms that he may have the strength to face whatever is ahead. Just remember, you're never alone. And God loves you very much. God bless you and yours. And may your day be blessed and your week be filled with much prosperity and happiness. God bless you. Amen.